It's time once again for our broadcast, Good News and Better News, where we spend 22 minutes advancing the theory that life really does not suck. And now, here is our host, author, screenwriter, and podcastman, Jonathan Richard Kring. I had, uh, I had the pleasure and delight of fathering four sons, uh, uh, three of these guys are grown, doing well, and I can confidently say they're contributing in their own way to the silencing, the insanity in this world. They called me dad. But now, one of my young gentlemen, though, passed away from complications brought on by it hit-and-run car accident when he was just a, just a little fellow. So I have three of my own biological sons remaining, and I also have three other young men who kind of came my way during a time when their own biological father was not prepared to tend to them. And because of his fears and insecurities, he had resorted to abuse. Now, these three boys never took my name, and I, 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 I more or less became their, what you might call, godfather. They, they, these three boys call me, I shouldn't call them boys, they're full-grown, intelligent men. They call me Pop, though. The journey of understanding for me on parenting was tricky. Because the labyrinth that comes of being a father, a dad, or a pop, to dealing with grown men, in this case, with their wives and their children of their own. i tell you, I'm not going to lie to you, it is a tiptoe through the minefield. At first, I, I, I did poorly with it. I did. Because by my sheer will and purpose, I made sure that all my children were living within like a three or four mile radius of me. This, this went on for actually for about 12 years. Then one morning I woke. I, I just woke up. And I, I realized the error of my ways. I, it was caused by my total misunderstanding of the fifth commandment. That's the one we're talking about today from that top 10 list. The fifth commandment that said, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. Now, you see, up to this point when we've been discussing those first five commandments, we've been trying to comprehend the fragile ego of the almighty divine and how we must not do anything to rattle the balance of his self-worth. Now we receive on this fifth commandment the threat that we also should not dishonor those who have given us birth or we might end up dead. Moses certainly loves the power of the threat. As you can see, some these Ten Commandments can be somewhat of an unpleasant document. But how much we conduct our society today is basically derived. The way we function is derived from our understanding 
and interpretation of this fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days might be long on the earth. Matter of fact, there isn't a television show that does not eventually insist through their scripts that your children never grow up, but that they'll always be your kids. Honestly, if you said those words in any gathering in America today, they're always going to be your kids, do you probably get applause? Now, let's stop. This is where the Judeo, that, that being the Old Testament, suddenly clashes horns with the Christian, the New Testament. Because I want to tell you, Jesus had completely different thoughts on the idea of the natural human family, the nuclear family, the collection of people who share DNA. First, you must understand, Jesus had a family of his own. According to the gospel writers, this family structure that he lived under, when it lists all of his brothers and it says he has sisters, there must have been at least seven people. So Jesus was well acquainted with brothers, sisters, father, and mother. Yet, when he was discussing with his disciples the consecration that was necessary for us to live a decent, powerful, and individual life, did you hear that? A decent, powerful, and individual life, he said the following, if you don't hate your mother, father, sisters, and brothers, you are not worthy of the kingdom. Now, I may be wrong here, but that sounds a little bit different than honor your father and your mother so you don't croak. But I'm going to tell you, there really isn't a contradiction, though it sounds like one. There's just a deeper understanding that our journey here is not about the understanding of people who live within the walls of our home, but a broader acceptance of all the inhabitants of the earth. From the Judaism and this fifth commandment, though, in our country, in our world, we've set up a very interesting, but uh, can I say dangerous, process. Interesting, but dangerous. The first part of that is we've developed a tribal culture. I am of German extraction. That guy over there, he's Irish. That fella, he's African-American. They're Hispanic. We never stop to realize that the root word of culture is cult. Whenever you separate off people by appearance, location, birthing, practices, you're inviting a cultism into your culture. So springing off of this idea of culture and tribal unity we break this thing down even further to, number two, family identity. My mother and your mother gave birth to me and you, so therefore your relationship is just naturally more significant and intense. While this is being propagated, we're also simultaneously experiencing an immense upheaval of divorces, 
reorganization of families, and separations. So let's be honest, at any given family reunion, you can have the rudiments of at least 12 different groups who suddenly have now considered themselves bound under an identity that biology does not confirm. You see, the reason we want family identity is to use it to tout our own. It is dangerous, and it is why Facebook is a fly-in-your-face, fly-in-your-face assault on one and all so that we can prove that our little family over here with our pictures is doing so much better than your little family over there that can't seem to center the pictures and they're fuzzy. So what did we start with? Tribal culture. You look like me. You know, you live where I live. You believe what I believe. And then we break it down even further to family identity, which is supposed to be defined as genetic similarity. I would like you to tell me what having the same genes has to do with making friends, maintaining friends, honoring friendship, remaining loyal. Exactly what gene in us makes that work, or is that just something we do through our emotions and spirit? So after we get through the tribal situation and through the family identity, we arrive at this frightening final step, which is, personal prejudice. In other words, since I don't know these other people out there in the world, and they're not, they're not part of my tribe, oh, they're certainly not part of my family, it is perfectly natural I should be suspicious of them. Since I don't want my suspicions to be wrong, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and confirm my prejudice by seeking out oddities and evils in these other people that don't share my genes. You see, what this three-step process creates, tribal identity, family identity, and personal prejudice, what this three-step process creates with its honor your father and your mother and all your kin is an emotional, is an emotional incest. It teaches us to mistrust people who do not live under our roof while simultaneously we fight like cats and dogs with the people who do. Can I tell you? Statistically, you, you are 100 times more likely to be murdered by a member of your own family than by a stranger. Think about that. And sometimes you don't even lock your bedroom door. Now, do you remember that Jesus told us to hate our families? Strong, huh? But he also warns us that our worst enemies can often be those of our own household. And he goes on to say, if you only love those who love you, folks, you're just at the bottom of the heap of intelligence. Hmm. Interesting, don't you think? So, if you don't mind, can I come back to me for a second? You see, when my family members were living only three or four miles from each other, remember I told you that? We got together at least three or four times a week. I, I began to notice, though, that I started carrying the invisible 
title of head honcho. And my sons, with their burgeoning families, were struggling to get out from under my shadow. It was ugly ass. Yet we had our family. We had our tribal unit. And each one of us had a personal preference for those of our own household, which did cause us to be suspicious or at least careful with other dangling human beings on the planet. I can see this three-step process even being enacted in a, 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 in a, in a assembly line in America. We believe as a country that Americans are exceptional. If you stood up and said, well, you know, we're not that exceptional, people would throw tomatoes at you. Rock ones, probably. We believe we're exceptional. As part of this theory, it is propagated that everyone's family, your family should be everything to you. My family's everything. The natural conclusion, then, is that we, a nation of immigrants now, the conclusion is that we, a nation of immigrants, are now frightened of difference. Not only hypocritical, but completely impractical. When emotional incest sets into a culture, that's the idea that although theoretically I live on a planet with billions of people, I'm only concerned about 40 or 50, and those are the ones I mingle my smooches, conversations, photobombs, and kindly attitudes with, just with those people who are more, more, more like me. It's only natural that whenever non-family groups are thrown together, people who don't live in the same house together, when they're, when they're suddenly thrust in the same arena, maybe it's college, the workplace, or sometimes even church, the fireworks go off. And you're, you start to hear people go, well, in, in our family, we, we don't do it that way. In our family, we always pray before we eat. In our family... We think the races shouldn't mix so much. Do you get my drift? Do you understand what I'm saying? It can decline severely to become outright bigotry. And as long as the words are prefaced by, in our family, it's supposed to be all right. Even though I believe there is a time when children are born and they're growing up, when the honoring of mother and father is the right thing to do. It's the right training ground in order to learn how to treat people. So when they become adults, there must be a point where mom and dad can cease to be the trainer or the primary creatures in these children's life and instead become included. There's the word, included, instead of revered. Without this, we become so encased and claustrophobic in our family relationships that we're unable to carry on national conversations, let alone global ones. The emotional incest also opens the door 
to a belief that we can do anything in our house, anything in our house that we want to, as long as it's in our house. What does that open the door to? She whiz. Think about it. Statistics tell us a young girl is also much more likely to be raped by a family member than an unknown pervert. America needs to be evaluated by something greater than our own house rules. One of the things I discovered when my family hung together so much back in that era is that my rulings on things became way too significant. Matter of fact, my children became a little afraid to go against my wishes. Please understand, it wasn't like I was putting pressure on them nor was I beating them up or holding a gun to their heads. It's just that our world had shrunk to us. And since us could not do anything wrong, we actually ended up doing some things very questionable. So the Ten Commandments begin with four. They begin with four that describe an insecure God who's jealous and afraid that we're going to cheat on him. Then they move to this idea that the greatest thing you can do in your life is maintain the family unit that gave you birth. So here's the question. Do we go Jewish and honor? Just honor our families no matter what? Or do we go Jesus and be willing to hate things that aren't working so it'll benefit the planet for the common good. Do we honor the way Moses said? Or do we take the time to hate some things, this coagulation that causes so many problems? That was a Jesus precaution. The truth of the matter does not lie between these two ideas, but instead an explanation a clean explanation made to how the family is meant to be. The first thing that always comes on the scene that begins this whole process is a sperm donor and a uterus contributor, mom and dad. If these two people are decent, they take responsibility for the birth of a child and the daily care and the feeding of this offspring. If they're conscientious, they will teach their children to love all people by not allowing grievances to be left unhealed in the household. If they have a mature outlook on life, they will begin to let their offspring, their, their byproduct, have more and more independence, usually sometime after the age of 12 or 13. And as these kids get into their teens, it's important for mom and dad, sperm donor and uterus contributors, to spot for them. What do I mean by that? In other words, the parents will watch, but from a little distance, making sure the kids don't kill themselves, but instead learn to make solid choices that honor everyone, not just family, everyone around them. Then when the children are able to make their own families, 
that original sperm donor and uterus contributor quietly take one step backward and allow themselves to be included as everlasting friends. If we do this, we will rid ourselves of all of this tribal cultism. We will eliminate the overemphasis on the nuclear family, and therefore, we will have a lot less need to fight the prejudices of people who grew up in an emotional incest, which left them devoid of the ability to adjust to others. Honor your father and mother. I guess we should be grateful with this commandment that they included mother, considering it was a male-dominated world when Moses shared it. So I shall be grateful for that. Mom got included. But I will tell you that the good news is parents are worthy of honor when they know when birthing begins, when parenting ends, and their children graduate to life. And the better news is, at that point, at that point, as parents, we enter a glorious time of having the privilege of living with our youngsters, except they're grown up. And then we can let them have their families and live a life that is free. That's it for today. Stay tuned next week when we will gather once again and find ways to put the pin back in the grenade. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and at goodnewsandbetternews.com.